turn to Hebrews chapter 1 here, and uh, we're going to, like I said, get into this teaching. I believe that the Lord is going to, uh, to minister to you. A little bit of recap, because there's been some time passed, and the last time I preached, I had people looking at me like, I, I don't understand what you're talking about. So we're going to just re- rehearse what it is that we were talking about last time we were together, and then continue on in the teaching. Isn't that good? Praise the Lord. And some of you aren't, weren't here uh, the last time I preached, so <laughs> praise the Lord. Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the worlds. He being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better, the Bible says, than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name, a more excellent name, because he has by inheritance, he has by inheritance, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. When he himself had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high because he had obtained by inheritance a more excellent name than they. We have to understand that the Word of God teaches us, and we're going to look again. Jesus received this name not when he was born in earth. Well, no, no, Pastor, you're wrong. He did. No, he didn't. There wasn't the same power in the name of Jesus until by inheritance he obtained a more excellent name. The Bible tells us, the Word of God shows us, that the angels appeared to Mary and said, hey, 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 this thing that you have on the inside of you is from the Holy Ghost. It's conceived of the Holy Ghost. And you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people. He will save his people from their sin." But when Jesus was born, before he was born, and this is something that we got a lot of things kind of going to help you understand what the Bible says. How many of you know that you should understand what the Bible says? You know there's more than one topic that the Bible talks about? There's a whole bunch of things. There's all kinds of things. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in the Word of God. Everything, say everything, that pertains unto life and godliness is found in the Word of God, like everything. And so as we look into these things, we have to understand that there is a pre-existence of the Lord Jesus before he was born of flesh. Now, you would be amazed. You'd be amazed at how many people will attack the pre-existence of Jesus before he was born of the Virgin Mary. You'd be amazed. You have conversations with Christians, and not, you'd, even furthermore, you'd be amazed at people who don't believe he was born of a virgin. It's crazy what people believe. Everybody say crazy. It's crazy what people believe right now. It's absolutely nuts crazy what people are believing and thinking that the Bible told them so. Well, the Bible's really plain about these things. Jesus lived before he was born of a virgin. Paul the Apostle said he was equal with God and he thought it not Robert to be such and he cast off his, he lay aside his, he stepped down from heaven and laid aside his so he could take on flesh. 
The Bible tells us in John chapter 1 that Jesus was the Word before He came into the earth. His name was the Word. Amen? And He was the Word of God. He was with God because He was God. And the Bible says that, that He came into flesh and dwelt among men. His name is Jesus. But when Jesus was born a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, He did not yet have this name more excellent than any other name. Well, how do I know so? Because the Bible tells me so. The Bible says, very plainly, when he had by himself, this gives, us the, this gives us the win, when he had by himself purged our sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and by inheritance, when, when he had purged our sin, is this in your Bible too or am I just making this up? When he had by himself purged our sins. Well, when did he do that? When he was 33 and a half years old. He went to the place of the skull. And the Bible says that God crucified him. That's what the Bible says. When they, Isaiah says, when they had, they had made his, his, his body sacrifice. And the word there for they is God. God did that for us. Remember that unending love we were just singing about. God did that for us. The Bible says in Hebrews that God doesn't require sacrifice only. Speaking of Jesus, a messianic prophecy says, but a body you have prepared for me so that I could do your will. God knew this was going to happen from the very foundation of time. I can't find it in Scripture so that way I could say, all right, this chapter and this verse, but in heaven when, when man gave way to sin and brought death to humanity. I believe without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus spoke up right there and said, I'll go. You give me a body, I'll go. Now, I can't find a chapter and verse, but I can see that thread throughout the whole entire Word of God. Amen? On purpose, Jesus came on purpose to save the world from sins. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world would be saved. Amen. He didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn us and to, to just push us away and say, you're no good. But he, another, uh, in another way, he said, I'll, I'll go ahead and bring people to me and I have people understand that there's salvation in him alone. So Jesus had obtained this name that's above any other name according to the book of Philippians. Let's go ahead and turn there. But it's important that we see this. It's important that we see when. When he had purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, God then gave him this name. You see that in Hebrews chapter 1? Philippians chapter 2, very familiar verse, but let's put it in context and see what the Lord is showing us here. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Verse 6 and verse 7 are exactly what I was just talking to you about a while ago. Jesus made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a bondservant, and he came to earth in the likeness of men. So Paul saw this picture. Jesus is literally stepping down from his throne 
laying aside all that he had in heaven and saying, I'm going to make myself of no reputation. Well, if you're going to make yourself of no reputation, then you must have been a man of reputation. So he made himself no reputation, and not only did he do that, but he took on the form of a bondservant because God said, I don't require sacrifice, but a body. I want a body for you to do my will. And Jesus said, you give me a body, and I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll get him back. He made himself of no reputation. But, see, we've got to understand that Jesus was equal with God, and he thought it not robbery to be such. Amen? Made himself of no reputation, took on the form of a bondservant, came in the likeness of man. Well, Jesus existed before that. The Bible tells us what his name is all through the Word of God. It wasn't just true. They didn't just call him truth. Amen? I mean, we can see in the Bible that there, he has lots of titles, which, by the way, just for fun, Christ is really not his name. Christ is a title. Christ means the anointed one. His name is Jesus. So if we're to say accurately, Christ Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior who is anointed, the anointed Savior, the anointed Redeemer, the anointed, Christ is not his name, it's a title. That's why Paul, when people get confused, and I can't really just, I'm going to touch it and leave, you'll have to go and study it. But that's why Paul said, you are Christ's. And it doesn't mean that we belong to him. It means that we're anointed. John backs it up and says, you are anointed of the Holy One and you have an anointing. The word Christ is Christo, and it actually means the anointed one. It's what it means. It's, he, it's Greek for, for the anointed one, for the Messiah. And so John, First John is telling us, you have an anointing. Paul's saying, you're Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm Jesus, you're not Jesus, I'm not Jesus, we're not Jesus. But that's why it's important to understand Christ is a title. It's not his name. His name is Jesus. Amen? We're going to see it here in just a second in Philippians chapter 2, just so you can see it in Scripture. It's important to see it in Scripture. Because the church for a long time has said, well, Christ, 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 Christ. Well, that's fine, but his name isn't Christ. His name is Jesus. And God didn't exalt Christ above every other name. He exalted the name of Jesus above every other name. But that name at his birth didn't have any power to do anything. He obtained that name by inheritance. After he himself had by himself purged our sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty, and God then gave him by inheritance that's name that's greater than any of the angels. And then it goes on to say, if you were still in Hebrews, for to which one of the angels has he ever said, you are my son, this day I have begotten you? None. Never said that to any angels. Amen? Going back to, are you doing okay? Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, being found in appearance as a man. He just got done saying that he took on the form of a bondservant, and he came in the likeness of a man. And then Paul says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God, why did God do this? The Bible says, therefore. What does therefore mean? 
Kenneth Hagin used to say over and over and over and over and over again, and I've heard many men of God say in many different denominations, whenever you see the word therefore, back up and find out what it's there for. So what's it there for? Well, let's look again real quick. Being found, verse 8, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So because he was humbled, because he came in the appearance of a man and he humbled himself before the Lord and didn't do his own will, but he did the will of the Father of him who sent him because he did this and he became obedient to what God's desire was and obedient to what God's plan was and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. Are you still with me? Verse 10, that at the name of Christ... At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And those in heaven and of the earth and those under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus Christ, is Lord, master, ruler, amen, to the glory of God the Father. How did Jesus get his name? He got his name by inheritance. How did he earn that inheritance? Because he was obedient. He humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Because he had by himself purged our sin and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So it's important. What are we talking about, Pastor? What are we, what are we talking about? We're talking about a few things. One, Jesus existed before he was born. And I know that that sounds so trivial, but it isn't. It sounds so, so trivial because we're like, duh, of course he existed before he was born. But look at me. You'd be amazed at the preachers who don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. You'd be amazed at the preachers that don't believe that Jesus existed before he was born in Bethlehem. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed. You'd think that that would be the beginning, right? But these people, one particular person, Kenneth Hagin quotes, and he said, I had a conversation with a man who was a word of faith, spirit-filled minister for more than 50 years. And he said, I won't, quote, I won't get into it, but I do not believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And I'm not sure, I won't get into it, but I'm not sure that he is the only way to God. He'd been preaching for 50 years. He's been preaching, not a Christian, He's been standing up and teaching God's people for 50 years, and he says that he's a word of faith, spirit-filled preacher for 50 years, and he's not sure that Jesus existed, not sure he's born of a virgin. If you attack the virgin birth, then you attack the deity of Jesus. If you attack the deity of Jesus, then he cannot be the Savior, and so we are all in trouble. Are you here? So we're talking about Jesus existing before he was born of a virgin. We're talking about Jesus coming into this earth, and because of what he had done for us, God giving him a name that's above every name, God giving him a name that's greater than any other name. Now, it's very important because it starts to get a little bit faster here, so listen carefully. Jesus had all power and authority given unto him because he was in this earth. Amen? You never see 
I know that this, it's important that we go through this and teach this carefully because we, we, we don't see, we don't see Jesus ever saying, uh, I'm going to heal your blindness in Jesus' name. We didn't even see the disciples in the old covenant before he died doing anything in Jesus' name. It's the Bible. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me. Go therefore. Now after Jesus went to the cross and after Jesus died and after Jesus went to hell and after Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave according to Colossians, and after he was ascended up into heaven and his offering for sin and his offering for spiritual death was offered up and accepted by the Father and he sat down, then they were able to go forth and use his name. After the resurrection, after the ascension, Jesus said, hey, 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 here's the great commission. Go and do these things in my name. He never told them to go and do those things in his name before. Amen? It's just Bible. But the thing that we need to see is that Jesus received this name by inheritance, by conquest. He overcame death, hell, and the grave, and God said, he's in charge. He has the keys. But then Jesus gave us the use of his name as part of our inheritance here in the earth. See, it's great that Jesus has this name that's above every name, and it's great that his name uh, is, is more powerful and more excellent than any other name, but if he just went 50 days after the resurrection and he's up in heaven, what are we going to do? It's done? There was just 50 days? No, here today we're given use of his name. And we can see all through the book of Acts, after Jesus was in heaven, ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father, you can see the disciples beginning to act in his name. In fact, if you remember in the beginning part of the book of Acts, that you see Peter and John going to the temple, going to the synagogue to preach. And there's a man lame from his mother's womb. Let's turn there. Acts chapter 3, I believe it is. There's a man lame from his mother's womb standing outside Acts chapter 3, verse 1, standing outside the temple begging alms that he might have something from the people passing by. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked them, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give you. What is the word there? In the name. In the name. Silver and gold have I none, but whatever I have I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, if you read verse 10, you might say, well, how do they know it was him? Because if you read up at the beginning, the Bible says, and daily, verse 2, daily they took him and put him at the gate. These people inside the temple saw him every day. 
lame from his mother's womb. They saw him every day, every day, every day. They saw him every day. And here he's in the synagogue with them, not on the mat, not begging alms anymore, but he's in, in the temple with them, and he's leaping, and he's walking, and he's praising God, and he's shouting, and they looked at it, and they said, whoa, something happened. Let's keep reading. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to him in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us? As though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified a servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and d denied in the presence of Pilate when, was, when he was determined to let him go. But you, de you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted you, Peter's quoting, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are all witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. Now I want to submit something to you for a moment. In charismatic circles, we always talk about the anointing. The anointing manifests, people get healed. Would you agree with that statement? That there is, a, there is an anointing to bring about a healing. You can sense it. You, you can see it scripturally. Anointing is a physical manifestation of the person of Jesus Christ to bring about a healing. Can anybody testify that that's legitimate? Does this scripture mention anything about a healing anointing at all? What does the Bible say? And his name. What healed this man who was begging alms? And his name. Faith in his name has made who had the faith? The lame man? Let's think about the story. We can play out scenarios here. Did Peter and John go to this man and say, wow, I've seen you here before. You come here every day, huh? Yeah, I come here every day. Was there an interview? They said, every single day I come here. I've been lame from my mother's womb. It's been hard. I mean, they have to pick me up and carry me here, and every day they put me here. And they went ahead and just told the whole story. And then Peter preached and said, you know what, they killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. Was that to the lame man, or was that to the people who came to him? on Solomon's porch, who were greatly amazed. Which one was it? It was the people that came to him on Solomon's porch, not the man who got healed, not the lame man. Do they give him a discourse on, this is how you have faith, this is how you believe, this is how you receive, this is how you pray the prayer of faith and release the ability to be able to... These are all biblical truths which we believe and hold fast to, and they're right, but in this particular situation, there was no teaching. He's shaking a can saying, I need money, and they knew that he needed money, and he said, I don't have any money, but I have something that can help you. Is that what your Bible says? He didn't put him into healing believers class. He didn't put him into, into healing class. He didn't give him a Bible and have him read first. He didn't have him go and, and, and wash himself and receive communion, and he did none of that stuff, right? Doesn't even mention an anointing. Peter grabbed him by the hand and said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Is that the Bible? Is that what it says? doesn't even mention faith. Well, people can get healed without faith? Well, yeah, this guy got healed without having any faith. He didn't even know what was going on. Peter didn't ask him. I, I hope that you're seeing this. Peter didn't ask him, would you like me to pray for you? 
See, we think we got to get people's permission. God will never move without permission. Don't put God in a box. Just because you think God will never move without permission, there was no permission granted here. This was a demonstration of the authority and a demonstration of the power of the name of Jesus. Well, God just can't get someone healed unless their will's involved. Says who? Do you think that the donkey's will was involved when God prophesied through him to the man of God? He wasn't like, hey, I think I'll prophesy. That was a miracle, I would say. And, and, and that, that donkey, that the Bible calls him an ass, he didn't have, there was no will involved there. Yeah, you can, just God can do anything he wants to do. And the church tries to put him in this little box and say, well, then we're going to have our kind of God. We're going to label him the way we want him, and we're going to have our little bit of Jesus here and our little bit of the Holy Ghost here and our little bit of God here, but God's still able to do whatever he wants. God can still stop time and say, the sun will stay here and the moon will stay here and we'll just do what we're doing here. He still can do that. He's still in control. Amen? So what I'm trying to get you to see here in the Bible, not, in a, not an opinion. Lots of people will give you their opinion. This is not my opinion. This is in your lap. There's no teaching on the name of Jesus, no teaching on the authority, no teaching on the cross, no teaching on the blood, no teaching on anything. They walked up to him, and there was an absolute, absolute demonstration of the authority of the name of Jesus over sickness and disease. And so now the church, because we, we can't figure it out, so now the church says, oh, that's because they were apostles. No, it isn't. It doesn't say anything about that. Where is that mentioned in the Bible? It doesn't say that. Peter himself received instruction from the Spirit of God when he was, Acts chapter 10, on top of the roof before they made ready for breakfast. He was praying, fell into a trance, saw a vision from God, and God gave him these famous words that he went to Cornelius' house and said, I perceive, men and brethren, that God shows no partiality. Peter himself, we're talking about Peter. So for us to say, because the church has done this for years, we just grab things that we can't get to work, and instead of trying to figure out why, we just say, oh, that don't work anymore. Maybe I'll say that again. We just grab things that we can't get to work, and instead of trying to look and figure out why, we just say God doesn't do that any longer. And worse yet, we build doctrines and teach everybody else why God doesn't do it anymore. And I'm so grateful for my pastor... Because he says, says who? Who said? Did God say? If God said, then it's done. We can't do it. But if somebody else said, then, uh. So you believe, Pastor, you believe that you can go unto somebody and get them healed in Jesus' name without their faith being involved? You, you really believe, you really mean to tell me that you can go and in the name of Jesus have someone receive healing in their physical body? that they didn't have any faith, have any will, have any understanding, have any revelation. Why? Because the Bible tells me that we can. Sometimes, I've said this for years. See, I'm young, but I've been doing this for a really long time. Sometimes, it's just as important what's not said as the things that are said. Because if you don't communicate clearly, then people can run and say, oh, okay. So I want to take a moment here and say, God can do both. 
God absolutely, scripturally, will honor somebody's faith and heal them. But it doesn't always have to happen that way. There is an authority, there is a power in the name of Jesus. And according to the Word of God, Philippians chapter 2 tells us, every single knee will bow. That doesn't just mean human beings. Y'all remember the centurion who said, Jesus, my, my servant is sick unto death? And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The church for years, for years and years and years has prayed, Lord, if it be thy will. Jesus said to one man, one time, excuse me, time out, one man said to Jesus, Jesus didn't even say it, one man who was a heathen said to Jesus, one time, Lord, if it's your will, and Jesus immediately responded, he said, it is my will. I don't know if healing is the will of God. You are not reading the same Bible that I am. Sometimes, every time, all the time. Why? Because Jesus said sickness is not unto death to glorify the Son of Man, but the Son of Man is glorified in healing. Every time, all the time, all the time, every time, all the time. One time in the Bible, one man who wasn't a Christian said to Jesus, Lord, if it's your will, and then the church said, ooh, that'll be fun because we can't get people healed. Well, you're just beating people up. No, I am not. I'm being real. You know, T.L. Osborne said, you heard this if you were at camp meeting with Dr. Mice. T.L. Osborne said, if you ain't fit to demonstrate it, if you can't demonstrate it, you ain't fit to teach it. And praise God, we've understood how to get people healed in the name of Jesus, amen? We've understood how to use faith in the Word of God in the name of Jesus and the purchased possession of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've understood how to transfer that anointing that comes from heaven through a person to bring healing to the body that's standing in front of us needing healing. That doesn't mean that people who can't do it are any less than us. They're just not walking in that revelation. But I refuse to say God doesn't heal just because somebody one time couldn't get it done. No different with trying to get people saved. Well, if you are unable to lead somebody to Christ, we're just going to go ahead and grab a hold of a doctrine. Notice that they never do that. But isn't it funny that the, the people who want to run away from the Word of God and the fullness of God's Word, they'll never attack salvation. Because if they attack salvation, they're in trouble. Never going to attack salvation. No one would say that there's not salvation in his name. But isn't it interesting in chronological order that this scripture came before Acts 4.12 because this is Acts 3. There's healing in his name. His name, faith in his name has made this man whole. That was Peter's response to the people who came to him on Solomon's porch greatly amazed. He said, his name, not the Spirit of God, not the anointing, not faith, not teaching, not, no, his name, faith, let's read it, in his name. This is the Bible. Would you agree? All right. Verse, eight, verse 16. Has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. All Peter is saying is, I've got faith. Peter has faith in the name of Jesus. Peter had faith. Not the guy who was sick. But isn't it amazing the Bible tells us where this man was. 
He was outside of a church. Every day he was outside of a church. Every day he was outside of a church. Every day. Not some days, not Wednesdays. Every day, daily, they took him to church. How many people? How many people? The Bible says the whole porch called Solomon's was filled with people, and they were amazed. Why? Because they knew him. And then Peter goes on to say, this man, you know, you know this man. How many people walked past him every day, every day, every day, every day, and they didn't understand the name of Jesus, did not understand that they, the person walking by, could have faith in the name of Jesus, and this person could get healed. At church, he wasn't at the mall. He wasn't at the marketplace. He wasn't out in the world where the sinners are. He was at church. Every day he was brought to church. Every day brought to church. Now, if you think I'm being hard on people, I'm not trying to, but can you take the context of this scripture and tell me that he was someplace else? Where was he? He was at the temple. The Bible says he was put at the temple every day, but one day. Somebody walked along who, Peter and John, who had faith in the name of Jesus, and they had teaching on the name of Jesus from Jesus himself, and they had understanding about the authority, and they had understanding about the power, and they said, you know what, we could probably just do something about this. we probably just do something about this situation that we have here. But notice how many people walked by him every day, every day, every day. And those are the people that whenever we are able to have faith in his name and bring about something for the glory of God in Jesus' name, they fled to him. Not the sinners, the people, the church people. The people that were religious. The people that knew God. The people that kept the law. The people that... This is the Bible, is it? Not the, I mean, we're reading right out of the Bible. It's the same one you have in your lap. We're just reading the Bible. And he said, verse 16, the latter part, Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him, the lame man, perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Verse 17, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did your rulers. He's talking about killing Jesus, but they didn't really kill Jesus. God did. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins will be blotted out, the times of refreshing, refreshing excuse me, will come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you, and it shall be that every soul who will not hear the prophet shall, be utter, shall utterly be destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets for Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. He's talking about Jesus coming and the Holy Ghost coming and the power coming. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the rulers of these people, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
I'll bet when they were preaching about Samuel and Moses and the prophets of old, they weren't mad. But when they came up and started talking about Jesus, when they came up and started talking about the name of Jesus, when they came up and started talking about you crucified Jesus and God raised him from the dead, they got uptight. We'll just read. Is it okay if we just read? They laid hands on them, not like we lay hands. Not to bless them. They laid hands on them to hurt them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of those came to about 5,000. That's all right. That's a good day of soul winning. This must just be because Peter was a, had a special anointing from God as the apostle. Jesus told the same thing to you today that he told to Peter that day. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. These signs shall follow those who believe. Is there anybody in here that believes? Told you the same thing he told Peter. Told me the same thing he told Peter. Told us the same thing that he told Peter. Same thing. These signs will follow them that believe. Believe what? Believe in him who sent Jesus. Believe on what Jesus was to fulfill and what Jesus was to accomplish. Anybody in here believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Anybody believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? Anybody believe that Jesus lived holy, spotless, and blameless and did not sin? Anybody believe that Jesus was nailed to a cross and he died? Anybody believe that Jesus went to hell according to the word of God and died there a spiritual death? Anybody believe that God raised him from the dead? Anybody believe that he walked around for 40 days, the Bible says, 40 days? Anybody believe that God called him up and caused him to be seated at the right hand and ever live and make intercession for the saints? Well, then we got some believers here. Then according to the word of God, according to Jesus, remember Jesus, according to Jesus, in his name we shall. The difference is, and this is what E.W. Kenyon says, the difference is not that God liked the early church better than he likes us. They just knew about the name of Jesus. It's not that they were specially anointed or specially gifted or specially graced. It's that they understood the power of the name of Jesus. And I believe that Paul, writing in his letter to the churches at Philippi, Paul writing to the churches in Colossae, Paul writing to the Hebrew church, we believe that Paul wrote Hebrews, is wanting us today to know that same power, to know that same authority, to know that same wonder-working power is in the name of Jesus. It's in that blood, and that blood paid for us to have use of his name. So the priest, the captain of the temple, laid hands on them, not, not to bless them, but to hurt them, to harm them. And the Bible tells us that they, they, after they had beat them, they strictly warned them, don't go preach in the name of Jesus. Don't you preach in the name of Jesus anymore. Don't you preach in the name of Jesus. You don't preach in that name. You, you hear me? Beating them up. There is a hidden power 
that is in the Word of God for us to understand. And it's not hidden like God doesn't want us to have it. It's hidden because men and women haven't been teaching it. And that's an indictment against the body of Christ for years. The name of Jesus still has all power and all authority. You know what's interesting, and, and, and I have to stop. I've I got to make this statement, and I feel like, eh. Jesus ob- obtained this name by inheritance, and he gave it to us by inheritance. We've inherited his name. We've been deputized to use his name. He literally gave us, me and you, those that believe what he did. We went through and believed Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus came and was born of a virgin. Jesus didn't sin. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus went to hell. You know, there are three kinds of death mentioned in the Bible, and the church doesn't understand this because the church doesn't read the Bible, and that's an indictment against the church. There is a physical death that when you stop breathing, your heart starts pumping, and they put your body in the dirt. Death. Then there's spiritual death. God told Adam and Eve, hey, 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 don't you touch this tree. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely, God wasn't playing games. He said, you will surely, surely you will die. You will die surely. But did they die? Spiritually. And then there's the eternal judgment. Eternal separation from God. Eternal separation in being cast into this lake of fire that will live in torments forever. That's the third death. The Bible talks about three deaths. Never, ever, never, ever, ever, never, ever, because this is where the church has a problem. Jesus could not have gone to hell, and Jesus could not have died in hell, because if Jesus would have died, then he stopped existing. No, he didn't. Adam and Eve died spiritually. Did they stop existing? It doesn't mean the cessation of existence Jesus absolutely had to have, and people don't get this and they don't understand it, but if we would just read the Bible. You've heard me say this before, and it may sound arrogant, but it's not. It is absolutely amazing what you will learn if you would read the Bible. Jesus said there's no way Jesus, people say there's no way Jesus died spiritually. Time out. If he didn't die spiritually, then he could not have died physically. He never sinned. What does Paul say about sin? What did God say about sin? What does the Bible tell us about sin? The Bible says, the day you taste of sin, you shall surely die. I just got done going through this, kind of to set you up a little bit. I'm going to confess. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe he was born of a virgin. Do You believe he lived on this earth holy and blameless and spotless and sinless. And how did he die if he didn't taste spiritual death? It doesn't mean he stopped existing. Adam and Eve didn't stop existing. In fact, when we were born of a womb, born of a woman, born of flesh and blood, we didn't stop existing. We had just started to exist here on earth, but we were born dead. I mean, that's Bible. That's one-on-one, 101, elementary Bible truth. So Jesus on the cross says, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? You know, when Jesus said that, there was such a supernatural, this is in the Bible, it's amazing what you'd learn if you'd read it. I'm not being mean, I'm just being real. We, we, we 
are our own problem about 90% of the time because we want everybody else to tell us what the Bible says, but we don't want to find out what it says for ourselves. And then go to people that we know and go to people that we can trust and know the people, go to people that have studied it and actually say, hey, I got a question. I don't understand this. But instead, we'll turn on the TV. Oh, snap. Listen to somebody who can't keep their pants up when in the presence of another woman who's not their wife who will steal from the church, steal from starving children, and we'd rather listen to what they have to say about stuff. And go to somebody we can touch, like I can touch these people and love them and know them and see their life and see how they've won in life and we want to run to the preachers that you don't even know who they are. I'm preaching better than you're amening. But we don't want to read it for ourselves because we'd like somebody else to read it for us because we've been sold a lie that says we can't understand it. But according to the Bible, I'm, I'm always going to be like my pastor and go back to the Bible. I, I'm going to try to be like Billy Graham and say, the Bible says. Anytime I'm going to share you my opinion, I'll give you my opinion. But I'm going to share you the Bible. And if it's my opinion based on Scripture, then I'll give you those Scriptures and why I believe that. But I'm never going to stand up here and say, well, my opinion is the Bible. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. And it's pretty plain here uh, that according to what we were reading today, there was no faith involved here, only on Peter's end, not on the guy who was lame. There was no understanding. No. So we need to go to the Word of God and read the Word of God, and that, that is a major problem in the church. We don't know the Bible. I was in the church forever and didn't know the Bible. I thought I had to go, to go to the whole corner church and have the preacher teach me the Bible. There's some of that involved. But I found out I can have a working knowledge of what this thing is talking about to begin with. It was religion that's tried to keep people away from the Word of God, and it's historically proven. Historically proven. It was religion that was trying to keep people from reading the Bible, religion that was trying to keep people from understanding the Bible, religion that was trying to keep people, not even let people have a Bible. That's, that's fact. We're not making this up. That's historic fact. But if we would read the Bible according to the Bible, the Bible says that Jesus said, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? And something so supernatural took place. And I'm not going to get into this because of the limitation of time. There was something so massively happening supernaturally in the Spirit that earth itself had to reflect it. And the Bible says the whole earth grew dark. Remember the Bible? There was something that was happening supernaturally in the Spirit that was so massive so massive that the Bible says that there were earthquakes on the planet, on the globe. Darkness covered the earth. And the Bible tells us how long. See, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And he, God, caused him, Jesus, who knew no sin, 
to become sin. Wasn't put to his account and then he was killed. Sickness and disease and sin, he physically became. And that's the, Jesus would still be hanging on that cross today if God didn't cause him to become sin because he never experienced sin. He never touched. God caused him who knew no sin. Not like he didn't ever hear about it before. But that's in the biblical sense, like, you know, a man knew a woman. He never experienced it, never tasted it, never touched it, never felt it. He had never, he knew about sin. He'd seen it. He was there in heaven. He was leaning over the, the railing, if you will, of heaven and said, oh, no, 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 no. That's going to change everything. He knew what sin was. Theologians believe, and it makes sense, that at that time, Jesus became sin and became sickness, and God destroyed sin, the Bible tells us, in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And God turned his back on him. So, it didn't mean that Jesus stopped existing. No, there was still a whole lot more going on. That wasn't the end of the story. He still hung on that cross. He still suffered the payment for your sin and my sin. And John says, the sin of the whole world. Amen? When Jesus cried out, it is finished, that didn't mean he was done. He had finished the old covenant. He had finished the blood sacrifice system. That's why Paul says, no longer with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood. Are you here? So when Jesus went into hell because he had tasted spiritual death, and I've said this to you before, and I've really got to quit. Are you doing okay? You got a couple more minutes? I've said this to you before over the years. Jesus wasn't in the garden sweating great drops of blood. I believe this. This is my opinion. Remember I told you if I'm going to show you my opinion, I'm going to tell you it's my opinion. This is my opinion. Jesus wasn't in the garden sweating great drops of blood because he didn't want to die on the cross. He knew he was going to die on the cross. He absolutely, it was foretold about him how many times that he was going to be. His visage will be marred more than any other. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus was going to be destroyed at the cross and that by his stripes and by his wounds we were going to be saved and we were going to be healed. He absolutely knew he was going to the cross. He knew the day he was born. Hey, man, I got a body now. This body was created so that it could be destroyed. So that doesn't make any sense. He's in the garden. Oh, God, I don't want to. I don't want to go to the cross. No, that's why he came. That's why he came to earth. Remember, he, he was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. He made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a bondservant. He came in the likeness of man, and in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and was obedient to death, even death on the cross. He, I, I don't agree with that. I can't get with that. I can see too many scriptures that he was the word. He knew what was happening. He knew why he came. He knew that his body was going to be destroyed. I submit this to you as my opinion. Everybody understand that this is Pastor Brian's opinion. I'm entitled to one. You're not the only one that's entitled to an opinion. Bless God. I believe, and others do believe as well, that Jesus was in the garden sweating great drops of blood because he knew on that cross you're going to cause me to die spiritually. And if I go to hell 
and you can or don't get me out, I'm in trouble. Because there is no other sacrifice for sin. I'll be stuck, dead, in sin, in hell. See, we have faith in what Jesus did. We know that he was the only sacrifice for every man's sin. But Jesus also knew that he was the sacrifice for every man's sin. There wasn't going to be someone coming behind. If this doesn't work, I'm dead forever in hell. If this doesn't work. And if Jesus didn't go to hell, then he didn't pay for our sin. See, the Bible says that the wages of our sin is, that doesn't mean you died. That means you have spiritual death. So Jesus is saying, uh, if we could do this part a different way, go ahead and let that cup pass from our lips. Not, not the cross. He knew that he was going to the cross. He even knew he was going to hell because David prophesied. His great-great-great-great-grandfather said, you will not cause your Holy One to stay in Sheol or hell, in Hades. So he knew he was headed to hell. The church doesn't believe he went to hell, but he, he knows he went to hell. He was, but it's important for us to understand these different types of death because part of the hang-up in the church is, well, he couldn't have gone to hell because if he would have gone to hell, then, then he would have stopped existing, and God is eternal, and he'll never stop existing. Well, don't forget that uh, here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, but all three are one. God didn't wipe out because Jesus was in hell. Paul said this. He said, at the point of our justification. You mean that there was a point? According to the Bible. At the point of our justification, he was raised. And the church has taught for years and years and years that that God had to get him out of there. He was just really getting whooped on. He was just really getting beat up. Oh, poor old Jesus in, in hell. And, and if God wouldn't have reached in and saved him, then it was going to be trouble. No, I think it's a lot like what Carmen was saying. They thought they won. The devil and his demons, they thought they won. And Jesus is there in hell. Suffering for all of humanity. See, we, we either throw away the deity of Jesus in the church, which is wrong, or we throw away the humanity of Jesus, which is wrong. Jesus was in hell and he was suffering. Well, how do you know that? Because Jesus was talking before he went there about another man who was there. Luke chapter 19, the rich man in Lazarus. And he says, in in being in hell in torments, he lifted up his eyes. Jesus knew what he was headed to. And Jesus was in torment. I think my opinion, not just pulled from Carmen's song, but they thought, we did it, we won. We killed him. We win. God loses. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo. Now all of a sudden, I think, 
God said, that's it. <laughs> Justification for every human being has now been met. That's it. I mean, Jesus woke up and said, hey, boys, how you doing? Bet you never thought I'd come back. Bet you didn't think that I was going to beat you. And the Bible tells us, according to the book of Colossians, and I don't have time for this, I really have to stop. You just, you just want me to keep saying stuff, so I... The Bible says that he went into hell and dethroned, stripped them of their power, stripped them of their authority, stripped them of their victory that they had for just a little bit of time, dethroned principalities, dethroned powers and dominions, and said, I can see Jesus down there rattling the keys to death and hell. John Olstein said this. He said, Jesus didn't just come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people live. There's something going on in this name of Jesus that I think we need to figure out. There's something going on about this name of Jesus that I think we, we should study and see what all God is saying. Would you agree? See, Jesus had authority and his name had power and he deputized the early church before his death. But it was his power and it was his authority. It wasn't their inheritance. That's why when the 70 were sent out, Jesus said, hey guys, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you in my name, but rather rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. God gave Jesus authority, Jesus authority, not all of us authority in Jesus' name. He gave Jesus authority, and then Jesus deputized those people that were just there just then. But that ended in the Old Covenant when Jesus died, and that's why the Bible tells us the Great Commission, on the other side of his resurrection, Jesus sent him out again to use his name. And he said, here, it's yours to use. I don't need it anymore. All authority has been given to me in my name. Go. All authority has been given unto me, and in my name, go. Jesus said, I'm going to give it to you. It's yours. Now, I've received it by inheritance, and I've chosen to give it to you as a part of your inheritance. I don't need it anymore. You use it here on earth. So this individual man who had authority in his name given to him directly from God, is this helping you or confusing you? The difference between the, the authority of God given to Jesus and Jesus giving us authority is delegation. And so we can see we, we have literal power of attorney to the accounts of heaven in Jesus' name. And as long as we can find out all the power and all the authority and all the ability and all the healing and all the love and all the mercy and all the grace and all the healing and the health and the prosperity and the whatever it is that's given to us according to the Word of God in His name, we can draw on those accounts of heaven in Jesus' name. That's why Jesus is telling him, listen, hitherto you've asked nothing in my name but ask. Ask what? Ask in my name. 
that you would receive, that your joy would be full. There's a whole lot going on about the name of Jesus, but we need to get into it and we need to see it. I want to say this last thing. I promise that I'm done. Art's coming up. There is just as much power in the name of Jesus that there was in the man, Jesus. Same power. There's just as much power in his name for us to use today as there was in the man. Because the man is backing that name. And he's making it good for me and for you. Just as much power. Just as much power. There's no, it's not diminished. It hasn't lost its power. Same power that was in the man is in his name. Because God isn't playing fair if he doesn't let us in on having authority over demons in the name of Jesus and having authority over sickness in the name of Jesus and having authority over the devil in the name of Jesus. It's not fair. God's just. He's fair.